Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Community Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner, and today we are featuring a wonderful community organization called the Positive Wellness Alliance, and we have the executive director, Sophia Russell, on with us today, and we are just so excited, Sophia, to have you on. Thank you for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. For a little background on Sophia, I, I always love talking to people that have what I would call maybe you could maybe say eclectic or, or very diverse educational backgrounds because uh, you know it's just it makes for people who are very very interesting and just have a wealth of background experience and knowledge. So Sophia has a master's in healthcare administration, a master's of divinity, and a bachelor's in business management. And talk about a diverse uh, academic experience. She has been in the public health sphere for for almost 20 years and talking about a journey all the way through mobile health clinics, academics, uh, working just in in colleges and organizations. So we are so thankful to have you on the podcast today, and I'm excited to hear about your organization. In terms of the Positive Wellness Alliance, started in 1990, grassroots movement. I'm going to have Sophia explain a little bit more of the background because uh, it's it's pretty neat transformation from really just a few volunteers getting out there and helping people all the way to the the wonderful nonprofit organization it is today. So Sophia, let me have some history from you there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, officially, officially, yes, early 90s, it started with just some volunteers officially In 1992, they organized and became the AIDS Advisory Council of Davidson County, where there were probably a little bit over 20 volunteers going out, driving people to their medical appointments. Because, you know, at that point, there was a lot of stigma. People did not understand, you know, how how could you get AIDS or HIV? And so these persons just knew it in their heart that this, this community needed support. And they went out and did that. And then from there, two years later, in 1994, we became an official nonprofit organization and the name changed to Positive Wellness Alliance. And we started off just covering Davidson County. But as we continued to do the work and getting um, additional funding from like the state and local funders, um, now we cover, moving fast forward, now we cover eight counties here in North Carolina. Now, you've been the executive director since 2018. What has the organization been for you in leading since you've taken over? Oh, yeah. So um, joining the organization, we joined at a time where a sister organization in another county, they were dissolving their services and we were, you know, getting their counties and and the services and the persons that they've helped. I think for me, during that time, it was really like, how can we become innovative about, you know, continuing the education. How do we address, you know, stigma? How do we get funding to do things that really, really do help the community that we serve? And so for me as the executive director, it's been a really amazing journey to see the organization grow even more, right? So when I came on board, um, it was, let's see, that was 2018, doing the math. We're almost at 30 years. I'll do that. I won't mess up the math today, but we're almost at 30 years. Actually, next year will be our 30th year. So stay tuned because we're going to do some really cool stuff. But I will say that just seeing the staff grow, the number of people that we're able to reach out to, the community partners that we did not have before, 
So I'm a networker by nature. So that's my that's my jam. And so it was really good to have conversations with different community partners about what we do and how the work that they do fits in with our persons that we serve. Because, I mean, it's, it's someone living with a condition. Right. So like just like with cancer services, it's a person living with cancer. And so it's still an individual. So just like I would need food services or how do I get a job or how, you know, where do I go to get my taxes done? Where do I go to get this legal thing taken care of? It was, you know, the same thing. So it was really exciting to see the growth in community partnerships, people in our counties that didn't quite know who we were, what we did um, to share with them about that, to get new funding opportunities to help our participants. And so that's that's what I've seen in my time um, being with the agency and just doing different things, um, teaching people about new terminology, you know, is to say, oh, you have AIDS. That hits a different way. But to say, oh, you're a person living with HIV or AIDS, that that says that you are not your condition. And so that is something that that was my kind of divinity background coming in and just having conversations with staff and our partners about you know, how can we use language and terminology in a different way that invites the person, let them know that we are partnering with them on their journey. And so that is a, a big part of my work that I've done as an executive director, just helping move the mission forward um, the best way we can. I really loved what you said there about it not being an identity type thing. You know, I'm a mental health counselor by trade, and we talk about this all of the time when it comes to people who suffer from depressive episodes or have a lot of anxiety, right? It can mm-hmm. feel like you become that, right? When when yeah. when your whole world is shaped, your perspective is shaped by that, it can really feel that. And the ways that people talk about it also make us feel like that's who we are. I, I want to read something from your website. Yeah, that I think really hits hits what me as as a as a person professionally, but also our organization and the way we really like to to this have this podcast that that educates people. So the core of who we are, Positive Wellness Alliance, works to eradicate stigma. We welcome and learn from the authentic experiences of all people served. It is our commitment to celebrate all people. It is our work to empower those living with HIV and their families. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that looks like in action for your organization? Yeah. So um, the empowerment piece is one that I'm sure my staff will tell you I drill that um, because it is how that shows up in action, we refer to our participants as internal partners. And the reason why we do that is because I want them to know that we are partnering with them along their journey. We we're not, they're not our patients, clients, you know, those words have a different weight to them in the spaces in which they're used. For us, it's important that they know that we are partnering with them on this journey. And so whatever they may need, it is, okay, let's empower you to you know, if you have questions to your doctor, ask those questions. You know, if you have questions about something that your landlord is doing, like feel empowered to do that. And then also in action, just internally, we have what we call client care calls. And that is when the case manager will make a phone call to the client, you know, ask them how they're doing with their goals. They do goal setting. And so that happens as well. And that is just a reminder 
that, hey, let's talk about these goals that you set for yourself. How are you doing along that journey? The other piece in the empowerment part is we encourage them. So there's any town halls or anything that we see where they can speak up about the rights um, and advocate for those in their community. That's important. And so I'm always, always, always inviting our internal partners to show up in places and spaces to, to speak about, you know, HIV advocacy. What does it really mean? How do we decrease stigma? And then not only them, but also their family members as well. Uh, we have a lot of family members that are super supportive of their, of their persons, but they just sometimes don't know how to support. And so we, you know, give them this information, share this information with them that they know that they can also advocate and support them in different ways other than however they may be supporting them. So they can support them through conversations with others, educating others, you know, like, no, I absolutely hug them. I, they love hugs. Actually, hugs help um, persons who are living with HIV because it bumps up their T4 levels, but um, T, T4 cells and that, you know, so hugs are good, by the way. And no, you can't get it through hugs, you know, just learning those kind of things too. Um, we've had people that, we had to have those deep conversations with them about persons living in their household, you know, and, and telling them, Hey, yes, you can say to them X, Y, Z, and you can share with them how you feel about what's going on with you. Cause if you keep it inside, it's going to start balling up and, you know, result into something worse. And so that empowerment piece on the internal partner level happens really between the case manager and that person and whoever their support system is. And if they don't have a support system, then we do our best to help them find and locate one that they can call community. And then also maybe they could call family because that also happens too. From the external realm of empowerment, um, we do a lot of connections and referrals. And so just making sure that people are able to to go to a service and not feel that they're being shunned as soon as they go, but that they're able to go to that service and people are going to treat them as a person and as they show up. First off, let me say, I love learning something new that I didn't expect to, right? So I, I expected to learn about your organization. I don't know that I expected to learn the, uh, and, and forgive me if I get this wrong, that hugs increase the level of T4 cells. That is, um, that is yeah, great hugs to learn. Are good. Yeah. That's, I know, love hearing it, that. And it increases like all those fun endorphins. And so the cells are like, ooh, this is happy. It, yeah. But it's much more, I'm not a scientist by any means or a medical professional, but I do know from what has been shared and what I've seen and learned, um, hugs are good. <laughs> well, and, and that kind of hits to the idea, you know, talk about ag advocacy. And sometimes, I think a lot of times we focus on it on a systems level advocacy. And, and I know that you all do systems level advocacy, but the examples that you gave were, a lot of them were really great individual advocates. And in, you, you talk about empowering people to be their own advocate because, you know, that that's really what we want, right? But you also give them a platform and a, an, a structure to be that advocate for themselves. And that that's really special. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important. Like right now, we have an internal partner that is super, like advocates World AIDS Day is their jam. Like they are like, give me all the buttons, give me the t-shirts. And, you know, they talk to their church, they talk to their friends. And so now we are, we have a, a symposium coming up in April. We're collaborating with a, another organization. 
and that person's going to come and that they probably would have never had that type of platform to speak to a crowd because, you know, sometimes opportunities are not available to people. And so it's important to me that opportunities are created for persons who have lived experience. Like I can talk all day long about what I think I know, what I, what I know, but it comes, it it's different when it is a person that lives it each and every day. Right. So like, I can tell you, oh, you know, medications have definitely changed. Now they have injectables, which is different from the 15, 20 pills that were from the eighties and nineties. And now pills are, it may be three if that, or it just may be one for some people. Um, you know, I can say that, but I don't understand what it's like each morning to wake up and say, okay, I'm taking this pill. Here we go. You know, I'm, and if I'm having a bad day, what does that look like? You know, my bad day, I have a cold may look very, very different from one of our internal partners. And so it's important for me that we hear their stories. I know that, um, each year, for one of our grant funders, we do ask for like client stories. I'm using it for the term for sake of the funder, but we get a client story and we have some of those stories posted on our website. We also put it in our grant reports because they we want them to know like people, you know, have feedback about the services that they received and how they feel when they receive those services. So it's really important that opportunities are presented so that voices are elevated. In a minute, I want to get to some of the, we've talked a lot about some of the services that you have, but some of the ones that are, there may be core to, to what you do and that, that uh, your internal partners um, probably find most helpful. But before, I, I don't want to skip over something that, that you mm-hmm. talked about a little bit ago that it kind of just came back up. That stigma for your mm-hmm. internal partners. I mean, you talked about being a, elevating their voice, but also validating their experience, hearing them, listening to them. Can you talk about that? I guess maybe in our community specifically, what some of that stigma looks like for this population. It's, you know, we are in 2023, right? It's a long ways from 1980. However, the thought process of some people hasn't changed. And, you know, we've had internal partners whose family members will buy them a whole new set of dishes for them to eat off of. And, and it's just like, that is not how this happens. Um, you know, and, and the stigma piece is truly, truly about having those hard conversations. We invite, if their family members are open to it, we invite them to come when they're doing their assessment or they just want, um, you know, want their family member to come in and have a conversation with their case manager so they can learn a little bit more. We also invite them to have that support person go with them to their doctor visits. Um, but stigma is on a broader scale. We do a lot of work to make sure, and I've seen it in media, and they've they've done a great job too. But you know, HIV and AIDS doesn't have a face. It doesn't belong to a particular proper pop- population or community. It is, you know, it happens, and so our our job is to reduce stigma by saying, you know, it's about having safe sexual practices. It's about being safe if you um, happen to be a needle user, you know, using safe practices in that regard. It's about if you are a medical professional, being aware of if you are exposed to blood, like what you can do to, to make yourself safe. 
Um, we've come a long way from the movie Philadelphia. And so everybody does not look like that as they are entering their latter days. Um, but people have media, right? And so sometimes they don't have the opportunity to to truly meet a person who is living um, positive. And so they're doing a great job with media, but I think they could go a little bit further um, with that because it, in some regard, it's still kind of connected to certain communities. Um, on the end of hospice, I know that education is needed too. I, I know a lot of things have changed. I will say that. And the nurses are more educated and, and helpful in helping families understand, like, you know, your loved one is entering into this their latter days. This is what this will start looking like. This is how you can support them. And so I I love that the in-the-life practice now, at least that spectrum, um, the support in eliminating stigma as the person is ending their latter days is much, much greater than it was before. And oftentimes persons aren't passing because of HIV related illness. It could be cancer or, you know, we have people that are passing away because diabetes or other other um, comorbidities. And so um, the fight against stigma is truly, truly about educating, you know, um, and giving putting images out that are not targeted. And I think that's really, really important. Well, and and. Being a, a hospice organization and podcast, we we like to think that we help everybody have a, a, a death that's that's filled with dignity, that their mm-hmm. quality of life is increased in in our journey and, and in our care. And uh, I appreciate hearing that 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 specifically your internal partners as they as if some of them when they do progress to the point of hospice, because we all die, no matter yeah. what diagnosis we die from. Right, mm-hmm. that that they feel that dignity, and 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 that makes me happy to hear. I, I would like to go into some of the core pieces to your services that you provide. What are some of the things that those internal partners take advantage of most, or or maybe find most helpful that that you would say is sort of the bread and butter uh, of what Positive Wellness Alliance provides? So it would be our case management services, and that is we have medical case managers that are focused on assisting the person navigating the healthcare system. So they need medication, where to go. They need um, durable medical equipment, where do they need to go? Connect with a new medical provider because they're moving or or they they just want someone different. You know, so they help them navigate that um, that side. They also assist them if they have any needs with any um, co-payments, things like that. So that is the medical group. They also do goals with them. So if a person has, you know, a goal to go back to school, so they, they're looking, so they're really resource driven and referral driven. And so that's that side of case management. We also have a housing case management team and we do have persons that are looking for housing and they help them find housing. So they help them navigate which is quite interesting and has been for some time because we are looking for affordable housing and that word affordable is very loose. Um, but they they really do a great job at helping them locate that housing that works with their income level. Or if they need assistance, we do have a program internally that could assist them with their monthly um, rent and utilities and things like that through partnerships with our local housing authorities. So those would be the core services of what we do. Um, of course, we had 
which is being revamped, but we do have um, a food pantry. We do partner with the um, pastor's pantry here in Davidson County for food delivery services. And so that people have access to food if they are food insecure. So we make sure that we keep those type of partnerships so that persons can get access to food. And our support group, um, we have that. It is also post-pandemic being reimagined and what that looks like because we have some people that are like, "Mm, I want to do it, but I don't know about being around people. And so we're just looking at different ways to offer, you know, offer that support system or connect them with a group that that is doing the work and, you know, in the way that they need to be supported. So the medical piece side, the housing, and then our food um, delivery services are pretty much our core of what the agency does. Well, I appreciate so much you being willing to to talk about the different services and, and give us, I think, I don't know if you find the same with with the work that y'all do, but I know in hospice, the advocacy and education piece really feeds the services, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. Talk about that. So the large, large part of who we provide services for are persons that may, um, may be lower income, right? And so it's, it's, it's kind of stigma on top of stigma on top of stigmas, like, you know, and then some people are like, get a job go get work. And it's not that easy, right? So the educational part is here we are, we have a person, this is their life situation. Now let's help them move forward. So oftentimes, and it also drives the funding that I look for too, right? For the agency, because oftentimes what we'll find is that people um, have a need and it's like, well, how do we support you there? And that drives whatever service that's being offered. Um, right now, we just learned that we need more home-based services based on what has been shared with us and what some of the internal partners have shared. And now they need, we have we have persons that have been with us since the beginning, let's say that. So now they are in need of, you know, some of those preparing for the later, later years of their life and they need assistance. And so that is one way... Um, that just that advocacy part telling us, you know, what the needs are that's driven our services and what we provide. The other thing that drives it is what's happening in the government. And so um, most recently, back in December, there was a bill passed, almost like $10 million, $10 billion, excuse me, $10 billion passed. And the focus is on PrEP. So PrEP is the pre-exposure prophylactis. And that is the prevention medication. And I mentioned this for a reason. Um, that's the prevention medication for HIV. So it's the, for lack of a better comparison, it's the birth control version of for HIV. Sorry. But that's, I mean, it's in the same likeness. And the reason why I mentioned that is because there's a lot of work around advocacy in that regard, both with people who have, you know, have lived experience and then those that are the supporters and advocates. And that's going to drive our services also in a different way too. And so we are beefing up our connections with prevention agencies, those that do testing, because I don't feel the need to, um, if someone's doing the work well, there's no need to compete, let's partner. And so it's important for me, for us to partner with those groups that we can say, okay, you know, your partner may not be positive, but here's some a medication that they could get on 
that will help with protection. And so that advocacy part and that education about what this medication is for and what it can do will lead us into those partnerships. And so things like that, things that come down from the legislation, what's changing, funding that's becoming available do drive our services in a different way. And it also drives how we partner and who we partner with um, to provide those services to make sure that they're available, not just to those that seek our services, but to, co- to the community at large. We have really covered some some great things. And I always appreciate organizations that, I don't know, when I hear them talk, what I hear is, is that they're asking for us to treat each other like humans and, and to show the empathy and to be willing to open up our minds to what other people may be dealing with. And, and a lot of what you hit on today uh, is, is directly at that. How do people get involved? How do people support your organization? Yeah, so they can always donate. Donations always help because our funding doesn't cover all the things that are needed. We do have times where, and I'll just put this out there, but we do have times where a person may need assistance um, getting the identification getting a birth certificate, you know, to secure housing or to become a legal citizen. And so donations that come to our agency help in that regard. Um, Other ways that people can help when we have community events coming up, if they would like to volunteer, they are more than welcome to do that. If they would like to become a part of our food delivery program and are interested in doing that, they can reach us on our website, and or email us at info at pwanc.org and find out about how to get involved in that way. Um, once we get our food pantry up and running, running again, if they have time and want to come stock the shelves or shop for the pantry, they could do that as well. And so um, those are some of the ways donation is always a way uh, for them to get involved. But if they want to physically do the work, they can do it that way. And if there's groups out there, that we don't know about, but they're offering things like uh, classes, art classes, uh, community discussion classes. We're always willing to share that information to get people involved. Um, Or if they want to collaborate with us on a project or a program, they're more than welcome to do that too. So that's, those are the different ways that people can connect and be involved with the agency. And we'll go ahead and drop that uh, website that that Sophia listed out there in the episode description so that you have it and can get in contact. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. And I really appreciate you opening up about the organization and your internal partners who receive, though it's very rare that we talk to an organization that maybe goes in as many directions as you all. And it's very clear that you treat the whole person. And that is, uh, that is incredible. Uh, Community organizations like yours, are so needed every single day. Their services are integral to quality of life here in Davidson County. So thank you so much for coming on today, Sophia. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And uh, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a subscription on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, You can find us on Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We put them out every other week. So uh, keep listening on uh, every other Thursday.